sunshine. Oh, my, my garden looks a little dry. Let's engineer some rain, right? Uh, let's scare my friends over wherever and just send a hurricane by, but not let it touch down. <laughs> but the thing is, when it comes to our businesses, we have a bit more control when it comes to the engineering. And so today, I'm definitely excited to do that. I'm still waiting for the official go-ahead from our top engineer to make sure that we're live. So we're still in this transitional state. But I think one of the interesting um, elements of scaling is that something like engineering, you have, I, I think, more of an advantage for scaling because engineering is all about creating systems that will scale. And so I think it's, it's almost an engineering inception to where I would believe that engineers have more control over the way that they can engineer. And uh, I'm looking here. Yes, we are alive. So our engineer has engineered us online. Welcome everybody to the, uh, to the podcast that basically takes you behind the scenes with people who are doing magical things and magic being taking a startup from startup to scale up. This is a scale up heroes. You can find all these episodes and more on startupacademy.io. And today we've got an amazing panel from around the world to talk about how you can better engineer or the mistakes that they've made during engineering in the scaling up process. So Pedro is back as an awesome moderator. He's an engineering director at TalkDesk. He's out of Porto today. Then we've got Andrew Mursky, who's a VP of engineering at Smart Asset in New York City. And it's a little rainy there, but that's okay. And then we've got Eduardo, I'm going to mess this up, Gildias Davis. CTO at Patlink, and he's out of Madrid. And then we've got Harsh Mittal. Maybe mess that up, but that's okay. You know, I'm engineering my words right now. <laughs> Head of engineering at circles.life out of Singapore. So we've got a great fully rounded thing. I'm going to be taking notes and I will have some sort of a creative recap that I'm going to engineer along the way. Um, let's get to it, guys. Let's start putting our brains uh, virtually onto the keyboard so that we can talk about what's working and what's not to help everybody else. Pedro, take it away, buddy. Cool. Thank you so much for the introduction, Ryan. I never saw myself as a David Copperfield of engineering, uh, so thank you for the compliment. <laughs> we'll try to make some plain kind of evaporator. So, <clears throat> okay. So, hi everyone. Um, Ryan did an amazing introduction. Um, today, the topic is horizontal versus vertical teams, and how the engineering teams can can be formed, can scale, and how they can be as efficient as possible. <clears throat> so today we have three um, three uh, brilliant professionals from uh, very different places around the globe. Um, so we have uh, Eduardo, we have Andrew and Arsh. Um, so I think that the first question that everybody would like to understand a little bit more is, uh, so what's your responsibility in, inside your company, right? So we have different roles. Uh, yes, we have a CTO, a VP of engineering, a head of engineering, so definitely people that are in charge and on a healthy way, obviously, of the engineering of, of your company. So tell me a little bit more about, about your responsibilities. Um, maybe we can start by, by Andrew. So if sure. um, so just my role has actually grown uh, recently as this, as the company scales, both um, making sure that our web applications and systems uh, get out the door on a, on a release basis, um, as well as make sure the technology of the company as a whole uh, functions properly. Everything from making sure that I have a recording set up so I can do interviews um, to making sure we have phone systems and laptops. Um, for both the engineering side and the, and the business side of the company. Very well. What about you, Harsh? So I think uh, it's quite similar, I would say, but um, I think uh, for me, it's um, a larger team and um, my journey has been about scaling in last year team from about 10 engineers to 
65 where we are right now and we are looking at uh, getting to close to 100 by end of the year so it's all about hiring setting up the processes setting up the next generation architecture building processes uh, how to scale engineering as well as the interaction between product and engineering and the topics of you know functional and vertical you know teams and all that very well so from what you said i imagine that you spend at least half of your day interviewing people right so. yeah. <laughs> very well uh, last but not least uh, eduardo what are you responsible for in your company um well pretty much like uh, harsh in a way uh, we are growing uh, the engineering team is growing from um, around yeah uh, 10 or 12 people uh, we hope to reach around the 30s uh, which is uh, maybe not as much as 100, but still it's three times uh, our uh, our base value. And so, yes, uh, processes, uh, hiring processes, hiring people, culture match, uh, uh, forming teams, how to organize a team, involving uh, products and building the product culture um, within the company. Uh, so on, on the same uh, challenges, that uh, here Andrea and, and Harsh are facing. Very well. <clears throat> so we understood more or less the size of the engineering team that Harsh is uh, is in charge. We also had a flavor for, for Eduardo's team. I think the only one that's left is that you, Andrew. So how big is Smart Assets? Just to make sure that, you know, the people that are listening to us can actually to relate more or less with your situation. So the, the engineering team is uh, 18 people right now. Um, split across uh, front-end, back-end, uh, QA, and our, our development operations team. Um, the goal is to get to, to uh, over 20 by the end of 2018 and uh, just about 40 or 45 by the end of 2019. Mm, very well, very well. <clears throat> so actually, so this is a great introduction for my next question. So we were talking about now skill sets, you know, so we have, I've heard backend, I heard frontend, QA, uh, and definitely we, we need several more in order for us to ship an amazing product to our customers. Um, so one thing that, that I really would like to understand is exactly, so how are your teams formed? Because yes, you might, might have 18 engineers or 15 engineers or 30, um, but there is very ways to, to actually to, to form and group the engineers in order to, to have a, a very efficient delivery, right? Um, so I think that probably we can start with, uh, with Eduardo, for instance. So how are your teams formed? How do you see, how many teams do you have? How are they kind of distributed across your architecture or not? So. Yes, um, well, right now we are in, in, in the middle of forming everything. Um, so we, the team is uh, composed of around 18 people without including product people. If we include them, it's around, it's 19 for now. And um, so uh, the way we organize the team is by uh, kind of a revenue stream or product line. And so we are having uh, we're having teams focused on uh, on our products, and we have teams focused on internal company scale. Uh, in our case, we rely heavily on uh, on operations, as we are in the logistics um, ecosystem. So we really need a big part of um, customer service. Um, and sales and so we need to give them support also and 
part of the company scale goes through uh, being efficient in that area. And then we are building teams for, um, call it platform in a way. Uh, we need to, in order to provide new business models and new revenue streams, we need to work a lot, uh, a lot of things um, and build new building blocks, so, uh, so to speak, uh, for the rest of engineering. Uh, so basically, in terms of skills or skill sets, um, product teams uh, are aimed to be really, really uh, cross-functional, front-end, back-end, product, design, um, QA, um, whereas uh, scaling, uh, company scale teams are more uh, back-end focused, for example, uh, because they will be probably working with um, application, um, you know, uh, standard applications for each area. So for example, in customer service, we use uh, Sendesk. So then um, we will provide an API for Sendesk so we can put some bots and chatbots and tools for our agents. Uh, the same goes for our CRM, our ERP and so on. So it's not, there are not so many internal tools or so we want to you know, constrain the amount of internal tools. And then when making um, building blocks on top of which we want to release new products, then again, it's more back and focus uh, with yes, an exception where we want to uh, improve our front-end technology. So it's a mix between back-end and front-end. Um, so that's, that's uh, pretty much uh, kind of a, an overview of, of what we are aiming for. So, so Tom, one thing, one, one thing that I've just realized that, <clears throat> so we kind of introduced ourselves and you were kind of discussing how you dispose your team uh, in terms of engineering, but one thing that probably everyone that's listening to us will be very helpful is to understand a little bit better what Backlink does. So what are, what's yeah. the problem that, that you guys at Backlink are trying to solve and what makes you unique? So I think that we can, you can answer that and then we go to Andrew and Arsh and ask these two questions. So if you don't mind. Yes, perfect, sure. Um, okay, so Packling is a um, shipping platform uh, for uh, e-commerces mostly. Uh, however, the company was born as a uh, shipping uh, prices comparison for, uh, for um, B2C. So we have our, these two uh, business lines, B2B and B2C. And we, are, uh, we have presence in uh, four countries in Europe. Uh, France, Spain, Italy, and uh, Germany, and yeah, uh, looking to, to looking to expansion. So uh, we are in the in the middle of the logistics uh, for e-commerce, basically. Okay, very well. Thank you for that. Um, so Harsh, can you can you explain for us a little bit what Circles.life does? What's unique about your company, and then you can tell us how are your teams formed, please. Sure. So Circles Life is um, a startup in the telco area. So we are uh, Singapore, we are based out of Singapore and we are operating in Singapore as a telco. Uh, we are 100% digital uh, telco and one of the first in the world to do that. So what is that? that means it's more like um, Uber of telco. So we don't own any telco assets. Uh, but what we own is a, a completely homegrown uh, tech platform, which um, 
essentially is a telco in cloud. So we have built a technology where we can connect and utilize a partner's network and uh, but provide the end-to-end -end, uh, telco services along with the um, you know good um, uh, plans and customization and personalization to end customers. Right now we are the fastest growing telco in Singapore. And uh, I think uh, what makes us sort of unique is that um, in telco, the engineering is uh, very different because telco is a mission critical service mm -hmm. and uh, you can't afford to let it down. Right. So uh, the, uh, we are back to where we measure the availability in uh, um, six nines and um, uh, we are very, um, very careful about the security and latency while uh, talking about the speed and uh, agility of our startup. So that's a unique combination, I would say. Yeah, and we are so. going very fast, so that it's another dimension of chaos. Uh -huh. And what about the way that your teams are formed? So how, how do you have your engineering team lined sure. up? So I think, um, so Eduardo was saying, like, you know, it's um, sort of similar in the sense that, um, uh, so there are horizontal teams which are focused on the, so there are people, uh, there are, so I, I like to put more uh, like um, flat organization. So I have around, uh, um, I would say around 10 team leads, which are handling different areas and there are multiple teams which uh, own different um, tech stacks, right? So say for example, there's a horizontal team which is looking at the telco management aspect. And these are the engineers who are looking at our telco management platform, uh, which is written in Node.js. Uh, then uh, say there's another backend team, which is looking at e-commerce uh, aspect because we are 100% digital. So we do, we are like a small e-commerce company. We sell the phones, we sell the SIM card, we take the payment, we ship them to your home. So then um, there's a mobile team, there's a DevOps team, there's a QA team, you know, there's automation QA, you know, all those teams are there. But when it comes to delivering and user facing features, then we need to form what we call, we call it shuttle teams, but it's more like yeah, similar to vertical teams, which basically uh, cut across these boundaries and involve more people. So like, you know, they have people from, um, so they definitely have a product manager. Uh, they have someone from the design team. Uh, more often than not, they also have someone from the data analytics, right? So, and uh, sometimes um, like, you know, someone from the network engineering. So a lot of cross-functional people come together. And these teams, um, though we have um, sort of, um, semi-fixed structure, so core people remain the same, but uh, based on the need of the features, we add our rotate people from these teams. While horizontal teams are more or less constant, and we do one more thing is that um, when we look at uh, running our sprints, we dedicate 30% of our bandwidth just focusing on the engineering related stuff. So, uh, there's a lot of things which uh, engineering leads drive, 
related to the you know scale we architecture you know building a new platform and so yeah. on and some of the teams are just you know horizontal they don't have any vertical um, component to it i see i see thank you um andrew so how so what's what's the smart asset um what's unique about you and how are your engineering team in terms of tactics? Sure, um, so we, we looked out and, at the um, personal finance uh, market and really saw that it was fairly fragmented and decentralized, especially when it came to um, giving people education about what personal finance product that is most appropriate for them. Um, even sometimes just flat out inaccurate information. Um, so we wanted to really uh, aggregate uh, quite a bit of information to educate users on personal finance products um, and then match them with the right personal finance products, the, the right bank, the right savings account, the right checking account uh, for them. Um, and uh, so, so both sort of make um, informed decisions as well as, um, you know, help the, the financial industry, you know, find the right customers. Um, I've worked in a lot of organizations over the years, some horizontal, some vertical, um, some matrixed, um, and we're trying something a little different here. Um, we're doing it based on, we're organizing based on um, what I'm calling disciplines, but it's really sort of the different types of uh, user stories or product uh, feature sets that we're developing. Um, for example, we do a lot of content and content delivery. Um, and that requires a different set of user experiences and user uh, um, uh, 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 goals than, let's say, all of our interactive features. Uh, we have a bunch of calculators that help people determine, you know, what the right finance decision for retirement is. Um, and that requires a different sort of mindset about how you implement uh, your technology and features. Um, they're all cross-functional. They all include um, front, back-end QA product, um, but they're much more focused on sort of the kind of interaction that the consumer is having with our site. Mm, I see. So I see that the, the, on these three cases, we have a very different approaches. So between kind of full stack or vertical team, some horizontal team. Um, for instance, here at TalkDesk, we, we started completely as a horizontal team. So we had just like a front-end team, a back-end team, an EQA team, and the product team. Uh, we are now kind of moving much towards the kind of a full stack team where you can actually almost have like a unit of someone from product UX development on back end, front end and, uh, and QA. So we don't have QA separate anymore. So it's built in you know, on the team so that teams can actually ship something directly to production. And and, and, and late and then the last thing that we did actually was inserting a flavor of a wheel team, which is pretty much every time we had like a big problem that we want to solve as an engineer team we kind of gather two or three uh, folks that are kind of mandated to just go there, fix the issue, regardless of being on their teams or not. And then they just go back to their teams and then we just kind of group another set of people to solve another problem, you know, stuff that pretty much we, would, we wouldn't have regularly the time to solve. And then on this case, we kind of make sure that the ball doesn't get dropped. Um, so this actually kind of makes me wonder. So we've talked about a lot of ways to organize our engineering teams. So. Are your teams organized around your architecture saying in the terms of, so do you have like a backend and a frontend team every time there is a new service that is born, do you have another team to do that or not? You know, 
there is a lot of talk, of talk uh, that we talk about Conway's law. You know that uh, an organization that has a given structure will always uh, create an architecture of that sort of structure. So what is your concern around that? And, and do you tend to, to watch out for that or you just kind of just do your own thing? So I think that we can start with uh, Harsh, for instance. Yes, so I think that's a very good question. And um, what we do is we rotate engineers quite a bit uh, across our teams. And uh, sort of I was saying some of these cross-functional teams, they sort of uh, keep moving. And also, even in the backend teams, we have this concept of like, you know, see, we have um, legacy software, like, you know, the things which, uh, you know, help us uh, run the business day to day. And there are a lot of new things which we are building every day. New microservices are coming, you know, pretty much uh, every sprint. So what we try to do is um, mix and match the ownership of legacy code and the new microservices so that all the engineers are basically still excited working on both, both platforms and they're learning coming from the legacy to, to the new services. Uh, I, I don't think there's a perfect answer to this, but uh, we try to avoid um, showing the uh, team boundaries in the architecture by, you know, constantly shifting the, you know, ownership of the components across the teams. So hopefully that will keep it balanced and keep us agile. Yes, that's a definitely a challenge. I agree, Ash. Uh, what about you, Eduardo? Um, well... Uh, well, Packing is, six, uh, Packing is six years old. We have uh, also our legacy system that brought the company uh, to where we are today. Basically, we have a second legacy. The second legacy is the one that is still alive. Uh, we managed to uh, give uh, proper sepulture to the first one. Uh, <laughs> mm. Uh, but anyway, we 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 were uh, on the first stages having more um, kind of uh, call it horizontal teams. It didn't really work, uh, so we we went we went through um, a period where we were kind of these shuttle teams that um, Karf was commenting for. We call them ephemeral teams. Uh, it's kind of the same. Basically, you have these features coming. Uh, so we were in a Kanban, so it was kind of easier, right? So it was this feature coming, and then you assemble the team with the needed skill set, and you go for, for, for the feature. Uh, the problem there is it sometimes it's hard to scale. That's uh, that kind of uh, um, way of working. And it's kind of messy, right? Uh, maybe you end up uh, waiting for people to join uh, something hard because it's the one with the right skill sets, um, and 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 you may you know, may not have this uh, ownership feeling uh, of the what you are building. You feel more like a feature factory, and you don't want that. Um, so that's why we are kind of returning into into teams, but uh, with a clear, uh, you know, as you said, um, as a unit. You know, they are able to ship whatever they need. Um, the difference with, well, for example, from uh, from hash is uh, that um, there is no no ownership yet uh, on 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 the different services. We are also on microservices. Um, but you, you own the complete feature. So if the feature requires, say, um, 
removing something from the legacy system and putting it into a new place, that, that's part of the feature. It's not something away from it. So basically anyone at any time has the possibility to, to interact with, um, with the legacy system, at least to check or if it's not something is, is needed. Um, so I think it's more on, a, it's also a lot of cultural um, uh, input in how you organize your teams and this history the company has had or your own experiences and to, you know, uh, how you um, organize a team and then you, you kind of experiment, right? You see, okay, let's go this way. Um, if it works, you continue doing it. If suddenly everything <laughs> goes uh, the other way around, so we quickly change. Um, so, so yeah, in a way, uh, we kind of um, manage to have Conway's law kind of, a, uh, you know, at a distance. At the beginning, yes, we had this very same problem because we were, you know, uh, divided by countries. So we almost had, you know, people in, in silos uh, worrying only about their country. And we had to break that. And then the company started changing into a more, you know, uh, global thing. So there's no more country-wise. So it's just, you know, backlink and then we, we help each other. Good, good. That's the ultimate goal, definitely. And, and actually, it was funny that you've mentioned legacy code. And you know that I love legacy code because if you have a legacy code, it means that you made it so far. Uh, and so that's yeah. a very good sign when we are in this startup world. You know, legacy is just something that you really need to love because it, it means a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, legacy, legacy is not necessarily bad. Usually, no, no, it tends no. to be, you know, the trade-offs of, okay, we need this quick and, quick and short-lived and short term but we need to to make the business rock uh but then it's, it's it stays there you know for like forever <laughs> so yeah it's good to have legacy yeah we spend, we try to kill it all the time but it just just loves us and won't let us go <laughs> i just want to add a little thing uh so when i said uh, these shuttle teams yeah they're not uh, literally tied to the features but they are more tied to the goals and for a goal, we do multiple features. So part of the core shuttle team stays the same. And then we add and remove people as and when, like in a sprint one, we, we are doing more features toward a goal. Then we add more people to that team. But uh, the core people which are tied to that goal uh, pretty much remain the same. So otherwise, yeah, I totally see what the problem Eduardo was talking about. Like, you know, if we don't, if we form the shuttle team for every sprint, and people change, then there'll be lack of ownership. So yeah, true, exactly. Uh, Andrew, your turn. Um, so, so I have a slightly different perspective. I, I find Conway's law very similar to Moore's law in the sense that they're more self-fulfilling prophecies than they are actually laws. <laughs> they're more adages, right? They're not actually laws. That's just based on empirical. And I think that um, if left unchecked, um, yes, your architecture is going to match your um, structure, mostly because communication, right? Communication between teams based on, um, you know, defining APIs and dependencies amongst different projects. Um, but when it comes down to it, different architectures are required to solve different problems. Sometimes microservices is the right architecture. Sometimes a more um, uh, service-oriented but monolithic architecture is important for certain systems. 
So if left unchecked, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna sort of move in that direction, but it's not required. Um, I, I always also find interesting that people talk about legacy and and they talk about legacy more as a legacy is always this monolith, right? People always look at this as it's monolith, mostly because then you can't you can't change all of it, and and but that's very natural for legacy code to be sort of condensed into a single place. But but I think it's more about letting each team solve the problem with the right tool set, whether it's sometimes it's microservices, sometimes it's monolithic, sometimes it's a relational database, sometimes it's a non-relational database. Um, there are people who fit into this camp of like, oh, it has to be, you know, uh, a scripting language. It has to be a statically typed language. And, and you can't let every um, different possibility into your environment because you, you can't keep track of it all and you can't train everybody. Yep. But you have to have at least some flexibility to allow both um, to operate um, as you're developing uh, tools. Um, for us, the monolith, um, quote unquote, um, is our website. We have, um, we get all of our traffic, um, you know, 120 million page loads and five and a half uniques, um, million uniques a month, um, all through our website. And that needs to be a monolith because it's a single URL structure. Um, but the backend systems tend to be more microservices. So it, it, I think it really fits Find, find the right tool for, to solve the problem. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And actually, we were talking about this diversity of technologies and kind of we really need to find the right balance between innovation and stability and predictability. So yeah, it's not I, easy. I find it interesting. We, we interview a lot of people and they want to come work for a startup and they're like, well, we want to work on the latest and greatest technology. And it's sort of like, actually, startups have enough risk involved and um, risk inherent in them the last thing I want is in, in a new technology that's also risky. Like on some level, startups, you know, choose less risky things since they have enough risk elsewhere. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I don't know, Eduardo, were you trying to say something? Uh, no, no, I mean, I uh, really agree with uh, Andrew in the end. Um, Technology, we like it or not, is more, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tool for, for our goals. So, you know, uh, just choosing the tool because it's cool, it's not, probably not the right, uh, the right way to do it. Uh, you might end up with, uh, um, with other problems and accidental complexity and whatnot. Yep. So um, yeah, it's just that. I mean, I really uh, fully agree with Andrew in that, in that regard. Very well. Actually, there's two things that I would like to, to kind of to, to give as a food for thought, uh, because we're almost running out of time. It's like one thing that I really like is when a company uh, internally open source its systems. So it's pretty much like saying, okay, so regardless of the disposition of the team, at the very end, everything is fully open source. If you want to contribute to a repository, just, just go ahead or a project, obviously. Uh, and the other thing that we mentioned here, that's something that I, I tried before and I, I, I didn't became a huge fan because, um, uh, because of some subtleties, it's about temporary teams. Because when, when we group like a temporary team to create a new system, as soon as the temporary team just vanishes, who, who owns and maintains the system? And that's something that is hard to understand, right? Because then if you want to give that to another team that created the system, it's always tricky, the handovers and so on and so forth is something that is it's tricky to say the least. Um, so we are kind of almost running out of time. There is always one question that I really love to ask for, to, to everyone that is here because the, the, usually the, the answers are, are pretty much just fantastic. Uh, and the question is, so if you had like just one engineering advice 
to any startup that is listening to, to us and would like to get to the level of Smart Asset or Circles.life or Packlink, what advice would that be? Uh, and I think we can, we can start by Andrew. Um, I, two, one. Um, I, I think I, I have to sort of go maybe even a little cliche, but the, the culture of the people that you have together is, is I think, more important than the, the, the level of technology or like level of technology skill. While you still need to have talented people, um, you need to have collaborative people. You need to have people who are willing to solve or focus on solving the problem together. Um, and, and if you have that, you can solve the technology challenges um, uh, no matter what. Yeah, very well, very well. Um, Eduardo? Uh, yes, so uh, on, uh, on top of, uh, of that, I mean, uh, packing is, was, it's been key uh, having a, 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 really, um, um, a really good team uh, to make us uh, uh, move forward. I'd say uh, what we were discussing before. Uh, I mean, a monolith is great. There is just uh, uh, there is just a kind of a, a moment on each um, uh, on each part of the life uh, of a startup. So at the beginning, uh, it's going to be messy. It's going to be fast. It's going to be your legacy uh, that will make you money. But it's it needed to be, it needs to be there. Of course, you can make it less messy uh, without losing the market fit. Uh, not saying uh, you don't do that, uh, but if you move too slow, you might not succeed. Uh, so you need to be aware of that trade-off and, and acquire that kind of depth. Um, I like, I think it's been, uh, I don't even mean Martin Fowler that uh, you know, correlates actually to actual um, uh, uh, financial depth. Uh, you know, you are actually uh, gaining time and, uh, by by uh, doing things later. Absolutely. Finally, Harsh, your advice. Yes, uh, I would say do a lot of experiments um, and find a product market fit before trying to scale. Uh, so once you have right product and customers like it, uh, then it's the right time to scale. Pretty much your scaling will only give you, you know, as uh, Edward was saying, you may miss time to market. So. Very, very well. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Ryan, can you close the panel on the session? Yes, I okay? can. Yay. I, I am Good. here. And I went through one computer that didn't have a cord and then another computer that didn't like the internet. And now here I am on the phone. So here's the big takeaway, guys, is that you've got to have these small little teams. Some people call them, uh, you know, these little sprint teams. Uh, somebody else called them shuttle teams, but you've got multiple teams. The thing with tech, and engineering is something's always going to go wrong, just like my internet connectivity today and the fact that I'm trying to get this. So I'm trying to scale up my Zoom and my scale up my, uh, my Facebook Live. But if you look at it at the end of it all, what, what works, what works when scaling, what works when breaking down these big systems, it's that you have to keep trying. And as an engineer, if you are anything, you test, you optimize, you scale. And so I think sometimes if you think you're just going to scale, you forget that you've got to test first and you've got to optimize it. And that's what I'm hearing from everybody. Everybody's got a different approach. I love the fact that you've got to love the legacy, but we're all dealing with technology that's going to continue to change. I have a computer that's two years old and then a computer that's three years old and then a phone that's one years old. So we've got to work with all these different technologies together. But the biggest technology that we're dealing with are people. 
And at the end of the day, the only way to scale engineering is to scale with the right people. So that's what I've heard throughout. You know, we're talking with people that have scaled themselves into a position to help others scaling. And when you're going from 50 to 100 engineers, that's crazy. That's, that's a whole nother algorithm that you've got to figure out. So at the end of the day, what I heard is that problems will come up. It's not the problems that matter. It's how you deal with those problems. And at the end of the day, it's a people problem. So you've got to get the right people in there to solve the right problems. And that, my friends, is how you scale engineering. So keep on scaling. Treat, treat, uh, treat your people just like their computers. Uh, but remember that you got to constantly be upgrading them and their software to keep on what's happening. And if the Internet kicks you off, get on your phone and get again. Uh, I, I know that all of you have not made it to where you are without a bit of scrappiness. So here's to the scrappy engineers out there. Uh, the only way you're going to go from startup to scale up is being a bit scrappy. So embrace a legacy, build upon it, and then create systems that will continue to, to bring magic to your organization. Brilliant closing, Ryan. Thank you so much. <laughs> all right, everybody. Look forward to connecting you all online. And uh, stay dry, stay warm, stay cool, all that stuff. And stick around for next time on our podcast. We're here every week. So if you want to learn these different elements of scaling up and you want to catch past episodes, go to scaleupacademy.io. And we will see you later. Bye, everybody. Bye, y'all. Thank you.